Okay, well, we are uh, in the middle of a message series that we started last week called A Better Fill-in-the-Blank. Now, I've never, I've never uh, titled a message series like this before, but it literally is. We're talking about how we can become a better whatever it is that we're striving to be by living out the nine values that we find in the Word of God known as the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, last week, we talked about how to become a better person. We talked about the conflict that happens within all of us between flesh and spirit and how we can create the conditions for the spiritual gifts and the fruit of the spirit to grow and thrive in our lives. And if you missed that message, let me just encourage you to go online, go to our website or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure that you uh, check that one out. But today, as we continue the series with it being Valentine's Week and all, I wanted to ask my uh, beautiful, talented, wonderful Great. wife, Keep it up. Carmen, to join me <laughs> uh, in, in helping to teach this principle this week. Because today, as we talk about how to become better, we're going be, to talk about how to become a better spouse. Okay, how to become a better spouse. And that's not all. We're also going to talk about how to become a better friend. Okay, so literally this message is for everybody. And this week, I got inspired for this message this week by listening to Spotify and my buddy Michael Bolton came on the playlist. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and this is what I heard. How can we be lovers if we can't be friends? <laughs> He's not joking. I literally walked in the room. She walked and I'm in like, and I was jamming out. Like, I was like, yes. <laughs> and so that's what it's all about, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be lovers if you can't be friends. So we're going to talk about today how to be a better spouse and how to be a better friend. We're not going to talk about how to be a better lover. That will be another Sunday some other time. Figure that out on your own. But uh, anyway, <laughs> but the principles we're going to talk about today, they work if you are married. They work if you are dating. They work if you are in the friend zone. Literally, it's a message for everybody. So you guys lock in with us. We're going to have some fun today. And our theme passage again for this series is found in Galatians chapter 5. Verses 22 and 23, it'll be on the screen for you as well. But this is what it says, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts through his word today. Father, we give you praise, and Lord, we just thank you because you're already here. You're already working in this place. We sense your presence, Lord, and we thank you for that. And Father, I pray that as your word goes forth now, Lord, your spirit would go forth in power to accomplish in our hearts what you want to do. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of life change and a day of transformation because of the power of your word. Lord, let it take root in us and produce a harvest of righteousness. Amen. And we give you thanks and praise for what you're going to do. And everybody say amen. 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 Well, when we live our lives living out the fruit of the Spirit, that naturally makes life better. Right. And the reason why is because these values that we call the fruit of the Spirit that we just read about, they are literally a description of the life that we all want to live. Our life is better when love is in it. Our life is better when it's filled with joy. Our life is better when we have peace. And not only is our life better as individuals, but the lives of the people that we touch and influence 
is better as well. So we're talking about relationships today. Our relationships are better when the fruit of the Spirit is present in them. Yeah, really quick. One thing that you said last week that I was thinking about, it kind of stuck with me, was you said uh, people who live by the flesh are not safe for others. And that is exactly what we're talking about here. Like living by the fruit of the Spirit gives you better relationships and makes you safe for the people in your life. Absolutely. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And I showed you this comparison chart last week, and I want to put that up again. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit on one side, yeah. this side, and the opposite, the counter value of the fruit of the Spirit on the other side. And as you look at the fruit of the Spirit stacked up against its opposite, looking at that, there is not one single one of person in this room that would look at that and say, I want the other side. I want the other side. I don't want the fruit of the Spirit. Not one single one of us would say that. You'd say, you know what? I, I really don't want that in my life, or I really don't want that one. Or, you know what? I don't really need love in my relationship. We don't need that. Or, you know, I, I prefer harshness over gentleness. You know, nobody thinks that way. Nobody would say that. The fruit of the Spirit makes life sweeter, and the other side makes life bitter. And so we all prefer the fruit. The fruit is what makes life enjoyable. The fruit is what makes that friend that you love so much, it's what makes them so great. The fruit is what makes a better spouse. The fruit is what makes better kids. Come on, somebody. And it makes better parents. Let me hear the kids over there. Amen, Pastor. (laughs) Tell them. It makes for a better boss. You want your boss to be gentle, not harsh. You want them to have joy, right? Everything. Relationships are better when we live out the fruit. And You know, we could go on and on. We could talk about literally every kind of relationship we have. When you get pulled over by a police officer and you enter into a relationship with him, (laughs) you want him to have the fruit of the Spirit, right? You don't want the harshness. No matter what kind of relationship it is, when the fruit is present and active, that relationship is better. It's the life we all want, and yet it's not always the life we choose. And so let me just remind you of a few things that we talked about last week when it comes to the fruit. This is really important. It's going to set the stage for where we're going today. First of all, these values are the fruit of the Spirit. That means that we don't simply get to uh, have them just because we prefer the fruit over the opposite value. Like just because we prefer love over hate or peace over anxiety, we get to have that. That's not how this fruit works. The reason it's called the fruit of the Spirit is because it can only be produced by the Spirit. The production of this fruit in your life requires you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, where we then live out our lives based on what Jesus told us in John chapter 15, where he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. So we can't simply decide within ourselves to produce this fruit. No, the choice we get to make is to attach ourselves to the vine that is Christ Jesus. And as long as we stay attached to him in right relationship, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. He's got to be living and abiding in us. And so hear me now. I want you to understand. This fruit is not manufactured in us in any way, shape, or form by our own effort. This fruit is the product of a relationship with God who by his very nature, listen, is all of these things. That's why they're able to be produced in our life. It's because that's who God is. So that's the first thing. Secondly, it is the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruits of the Spirit. 
Okay? That means that it is the singular fruit produced by the one and same Spirit who lives in all of us. You don't have a different Holy Spirit in you than Carmen has in her, though sometimes it might seem like that is what is going on. Watch it. When the the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you are properly connected to Christ, the Spirit produces His fruit in you, and this is what it looks like. It looks like all nine of these values together. That is the fruit of the Spirit. A good way to think about that is it's one fruit with nine different tastes. We don't get to pick and choose. We can't say, well, I'll take love and joy and peace, but you can keep your patience, Lord. I am not in need of that. Uh, you know, or the spirit in me produces joy, but the spirit in you produces something different. That's not how it works. When the Holy Spirit is present and working in your life, the values that are his fruit, they show up in the way that you live your life and the way that you interact with others. So you don't get a pass on any of them. Every every part of the fruit, every part of it, is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify of me. And see, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like the one that he came to testify about, which is Jesus. So the Holy Spirit in you is continually working on the inside of you to make you more like Jesus on the outside. And that's why these values are what they are. Literally, if you think about it, the fruit of the Spirit is a perfect description of the person of Jesus Christ. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. Literally, everything listed there is who He is. And that's the life that He demonstrated for us here on the earth. So, these values work together in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're doing. We are becoming like Jesus, and that is the goal. Yeah, so our job is to cultivate and grow in relationship with Christ, and then the outflow of that is the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's what you're saying here? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Just to add my commentary there. (laughs) The job of the Holy Spirit is to produce the fruit in us. That's not your job. Your job is not to produce more love. Your job is to connect to Christ so that love can be produced in you. The other thing that we can do to help the Holy Spirit produce more of his fruit in us is we can cultivate the right conditions for that fruit to grow. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not up to us to produce the fruit, but it is up to us to make sure that we've created the right climate for the fruit to grow. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. You can't grow the fruit stuff that they grow in Florida out here in Colorado. Why? Because the climate isn't right for that. Okay, and thank God. (laughs) And they don't have mountains, so there you go, Florida. You're not better. Nobody likes you. Just kidding. Some people do. We love you. So, our job, if we want the fruit to grow, is we need to figure out what conditions we need to cultivate for the fruit to grow. So, what we do is we choose this is where we make a decision we choose to create the climate to give water, to to feed it, all the stuff that it needs to grow. And the way that we do that, what that looks like is time in his word, time in prayer, Mm -hmm. worship, community with others. That is creating the right conditions for the fruit of the spirit to grow. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we have to refuse and sometimes abstain from conditions that are actually contaminating our spiritual growth. Uh, We would call that the things of the flesh or the things of the world. And so, uh, We have choices to make, and those are the choices that we make. The choices that we make then lead to the kind of fruit that we produce in our lives. So we Mm -hmm. all agree these are the values we want. These are the values that we desire, not just in our personal lives, but also in our relationships 
Because if these values are present, hey, that relationship is going to be great. So let's take a few minutes today and break down these values and talk about what they look like in a relationship like marriage or in a strong friendship when the Holy Spirit is working supernaturally to produce them in us. Yeah. So the first one that we have here is love. And it is the perfect time to talk about love, being that tomorrow is the holiday of love. It's Valentine's Day. Um, But here's the thing. Um, The love that the Holy Spirit produces in us is not like the love of the world. Um, it, it means that we are to love like God, which is supernatural in nature. Um, it's based on the word of God and not just how we feel or the wisdom of the world, things that we see on movies. That's, that's not it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, if, you know, we ask the question, how do you define the love of God based on the word of God? Mm-hmm. There's one word that comes to mind and that word is sacrificial. Yeah. The love of God is sacrificial. The world does not describe love that way, but that's how God describes his love. And it comes back to the most basic starting point of the gospel. God's love for us motivated his action towards us. And the action of his love is and always will be sacrificial in nature. We see it in John 3.16. And again, this is the most basic premise of the gospel. Sunday school. Say? Yeah. I mean, it's a Sunday school Absolutely. lesson. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And his love moved him towards us in a sacrificial motion. Right. He, he gave the thing that was most precious to him. He gave it to mm-hmm. us. He gave us his own son. And then his son became a sacrifice of grace and mercy that would then cover our sins. Right. So this is sacrificial love. This is what it is. This is the love that God the Father has for you and me and all of humanity. He loved, and what that looks like is giving sacrificially. Right, and so in John uh, 15, 13, he even says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. And so greater love, greater love than the world, it's the love of, of God. And what that looks like is sacrifice, laying down your life for another. Yeah, and if you look at that in your Bibles in John mm-hmm. chapter 15, the very uh, the, the verse right in front of that one, John chapter 15 verse 12, Jesus gives us this command. He says, "My command is this, love each other as I have loved you." Yeah. So don't not not to love each other as the world has defined it or mm-hmm. love each other based on what you feel today. Right. No, the love that we are commanded to live in and and give to the people we're in relationship with is the love of God. It's the same love that he demonstrated for us. It's sacrificial. It's supernatural love. That's the fruit of the love being produced by the Holy Spirit in us. And in fact, this is exactly how Paul tells us we should love one another in the marriage relationship, if you look at it. He says, as husbands and wives, you should love each other the way that God loves us. This is what he says in Ephesians 5 and 25. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, do you see the wording there? He gave himself up for her. What is that? That is sacrificial love again. He gave himself up. So Jesus literally laid down his life for his bride, the church. 
Men, listen to me. We are called to do the same thing for our brides. Mm -hmm. And not just our wives, but also our children. We are called to literally lay down our lives for our families. And in that, we are loving them sacrificially. Meaning there is no limit to the depths of our love for them. We will literally sacrifice ourselves to make sure that their well-being is taken care of. Right. And, and uh, to love each other like Christ loves the church is the command for married couples um, because marriage is the best earthly example of what covenant looks like. Um, the covenant that God established uh, between a man and a woman is a symbol of the covenant that he made with us. Yeah, that's why he says in his word, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting love is a description of his covenant of love. His covenant to love us forever will not allow him to ever not love us. Right. You understand that? Yeah. And he adds to it this promise of covenant. It's, it's a steadfast commitment. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's his covenant promise to every single one of us who are in relationship with him. God has made a covenant with mankind, not based on how he felt that particular day, but based on his nature. And the scripture says that he cannot violate his own nature. So God is love is what the scripture says. So his actions towards us, if you've ever wondered, why, what is God doing? God's actions towards us are always motivated by his love for us. It's because love is his very nature. That's what covenant is. And in covenant relationship, listen, you're not getting just a commitment. You are, when, when, you, when you get invited into his covenant and you come into covenant with him, you are coming into his very nature. And there is no limit to it. That's why he described it as, he said, as far as the heavens are from the earth, so is my love for you. He's saying there is literally no end to the nature, the sacrificial nature of my love. Now listen to me. Marriage is also a covenant. And you have to understand that. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is not a business deal. It's not an agreement with contingencies built in that allows you to back out right. if things get too hard right. or unexpected things begin to happen right. and you don't know how to respond to it. Marriage is designed by God to be an everlasting covenant that we make with one another that literally emulates his love for us. That's why we give one another rings when we get married. That's what the ring symbolizes. There is no end to the circular that's motion right, of the right. nature of his love, and it's the same in marriage. There is no end to the covenant of love that we agree to come into together. It endures forever, just like God's love does. Right. And listen, that's why marriage matters so much to God. That's why he says in his word that he hates divorce. It's because your marriage is a symbol to the entire world of God's love for us. And to make it work, to make it last, to keep it real, both spouses have to be willing to give each, give one, to give themselves really to each other sacrificially. And in so doing, you invite that other person to come into covenant with you and into the nature of your love. And that's where love flourishes and, um, and has its foundation. And let me say this too before we move on, because listen, there, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those that right. are in Christ Jesus. Right. And if you were married and it didn't work out and you're divorced, there's no condemnation over you. We're not saying any of this to shame you or make you feel bad. Okay? I love how God redeems every one of our stories. That's right. That's Amen. Come That's on and give him praise for that. There is no limit to his love. And if a marriage doesn't work out, that doesn't mean that God has stopped loving yep. you. 
His nature of love <laughs> continues in you. And if that's the route that you go and that's the route that your life takes, God is not done with you. And there is another chapter being written of your story Mm -hmm. and God is still making all things new. So I want to be clear about that. Yeah, it's good. But while the love that God produces in us is always sacrificial, listen, the sacrifice is not always unto death. Right. So that doesn't mean you are expected to lay down your life for your neighbor or Joe Schmo in the cubicle next to you, right? Like this is not the Hunger Games. We're not coming up as tribute for every single person. This is talking about our marriages, our families, um, you know, our kids. That's the sacrificial love where we lay down our lives. Right. And Jesus told us what this looks Mm -hmm. like in John chapter 10, verse 27, Mm -hmm. when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say, now go out and die for your neighbor so they can live. That's not what he said. He said, simply love them as yourself, which means that you give preference to them, okay? It means that uh, you sacrifice sometimes your own desires for somebody else's good. You put your needs sometimes to the side so someone else's needs can be met. That's what it means uh, to love your neighbor. It literally means to serve humanity. Right, and that's how the world knows that we are disciples and followers of Christ. What flows out of us. Yeah. It's in how we love one another sacrificially. And so if the Holy Spirit is in us, producing his fruit through us, loving others like that with a sacrificial nature will not be viewed as a hardship. It will be viewed as a joy. Okay? And so we spend a little bit more time on that one than we will the others. I promise we've got eight more to get to. But let's, let's keep moving. Let's keep talking. The next one is joy. When joy is being supernaturally produced in us through the Holy Spirit, what does that look like in our relationship? Well, if you look at Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, rejoicing over you with singing. He takes great delight in us, mm-hmm. rejoicing over us with singing. Rejoicing is an expression of joy. Right. Like he literally sings over us because he's so delighted with us. Mm-hmm. We are his joy. I want you to understand that. You are the apple of God's eye. He, right. he looks for you in the morning. He wants to see your face. He rejoices over you, delights in you. And it's the same in marriage or friendship. Some of you are like, really? <laughs> yeah, when I wake up, boy, I cannot wait to make eye contact with this beauty right here. It's true. It's the same in marriage. It's also the same in friendship. To delight in someone is quite literally to enjoy them. It is to rejoice over them. It's to make them a big deal. And as you know, especially in marriage, that's not always easy. Sometimes it's a challenge. Why are you laughing? Because I have a story. (laughs) I have a story. I've told this story before, but I I have to tell it. It's time for some new stories. In our first (laughs) few months of marriage... Carmen moved in. I had a cabin up in the mountains in Tennessee. There was a creek running behind it. It was awesome. awesome. Carmen moved in, and I was so excited, you know, to have her move in as my wife, and I was showing her where everything is, and I was like, I keep the plates here. You know, the the pots and pans are here. Uh, Over the couch right there, I'm going to put a colonial American flag. I just haven't gotten it yet. Veto. Yeah, and I could just tell from her face she's not feeling this, right? (laughs) And then I came home from work one day, and everything was moved. Everything was changed. She didn't like where the plates were, so she moved them. And it was was crazy stuff. It was all fixed. Yeah, and and I was like, what are you doing, you know? And there was one day, like, she wanted to make me dinner, Mm -hmm. and she didn't defrost the chicken, and it was frozen on the inside. And I was just like, I love you, but I'm not eating that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I was not going to take one for the team right there. It was rough. 
was like, that one was rough, oh, I'll girl. acknowledge. <laughs> Trying to poison me. And it was just the first few weeks. You know how it is. Like every, I've talked to so many people. They're like, it was just such bliss. We were no. in this honeymoon period for two no. years. We were in a honeymoon in period for like five days. We were still on our honeymoon. <laughs> and I'm already like, that yeah. is a red light. You cannot run through it. <laughs> but did you die? That's always my answer. Did you die? God, it's because of Jesus. (laughs) He protected and preserved my life. He told me a couple weeks ago, I feel like my life's at risk every time I'm in the car with you. That's what he said. So all this was going on, and I went to my office, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm having my devotion time, and I'm just like, Lord, I need you to do something with Carmen, okay? It was like Adam in the Garden of Eden when he was like, this woman you gave me, is something's wrong with her, and I need you to fix it because I'm about to lose my mind. And I'm just kind of pouring it out to the Lord for about 10 minutes, and then it kind of got silent, and I was about to go start my work. And I heard God say to me, and I, I, this is what he said. In my heart, I heard him. He said, she's not the problem. You are. Woo, God's got my back. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? I was like, okay, that's not God. That's that uncooked chicken I ate last night. That's what that is. And he said, he said, you're the problem. I made her different on purpose, and I made her for you. And he said, quit begrudging who she is and start celebrating the woman of God that she is. That's right. So I repented to the Lord, a lot of tears. I sucked it up. I repented to Carmen. I came in. I told her I was sorry for the way I was acting and the things that I'd done and said. And from then on, I made a decision. This was just a few months into our marriage. Like, I made a decision that I'm going to celebrate her for who she is. I'm not going to get mad that she's not like me. I'm not going to get mad that there are differences between us. I'm going to celebrate her for who she is. I'm going to embrace the imperfections if there oh, are any. Oh, watch right? it. Watch I'm it. I'm going to embrace Watch them. it. But listen, some more. <laughs> I, I'm not going to see the differences as annoyances. I'm going to see them as a blessing because she is a blessing to me. Aww. And so God kind of had to deal with me in that. Mm-hmm. But I listened to him. That's yeah. the key, man. You're not always going to get it right, but you got to listen to the Lord. He will help you. <laughs> in Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 7, mm-hmm. the scripture says, How beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. And I think you'll have a lot of joy in your relationship when you can read that verse and get to that word delights and immediately you think of differences. Mm -hmm. How beautiful, how pleasing you are, my love, with all of our differences. I still rejoice over you. See, I believe that true joy comes into our marriage when we can celebrate the person that our spouse is. When we delight over them and we rejoice over them, that produces a relationship and a home full of joy. Yep. Amen. I agree. Amen. Let's look at the next one. Up next, we got peace. (laughs) Peace that is produced by the Holy Spirit. So supernatural peace is not the same peace as the world understands it, right? Mm -hmm. The world thinks of peace as simply the absence of conflict. I've actually just watched this all weekend on the news, right? Because, you know, Russia's threatening to invade the Ukraine. You guys are tracking with that. They're just Mm -hmm. lined up, and it looks like they're ready to come in. And I heard the guy on the news say, we're all hoping for a peaceful resolution. And I get what he's saying, and I agree with that. Like, nobody wants war, right? We want a peaceful resolution. But 
the absence of conflict, the, hey, put your tanks away and go back home, <laughs> that's not peace as God has defined it, okay? It's not simply the absence of conflict. Peace as God has defined it is an abiding reality of security and provision even in the midst of conflict, even when things are tough. Yeah, yeah. If you look at what Jesus said in John uh, 14, 27, 14, 27, he describes it perfectly. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Yeah. Look at how he describes that peace. <laughs> He says, my peace is different than what the world offers. Yeah. And so peace conquers fear. He said, don't let your, or don't be afraid. His, his peace overwhelms tension and trouble in our hearts. That's mm-hmm. why he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I love that word, let. Don't let it. That means that right. we can allow it, right? Yeah. I get it. You're going through a tough time, but you don't have to let your heart become troubled. That is your choice. Right. Because God's peace is with you. His peace is abiding. He said, I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to leave it with you. Long after I'm gone from here, my peace will remain. His peace doesn't come and go based on our circumstances. It's an ever-present reality in our lives, no matter what we're dealing Mm -hmm. with or what we face. And his promise of peace is good for our relationships as well. Yeah, and I think that sometimes uh, we've got people or we have this idea that I'm going to be a peace keeper or I'm going to be a peacemaker and I'm not going to address the conflict or I'm not going to have the tough conversation because without that if I don't say anything we have surface level peace right like there's no direct conflict in relationship we're just acting like everything is fine but that is a lie that we tell ourselves because if we avoid the tough conversation it still stays in us, right? It stays in our heads. It stays in our hearts. We lose sleep. We can't focus. Sometimes we take it out on other people who are innocent bystanders. That never happens here at all. But, but so sometimes you have to bring the conflict up to surface level and actually have the conversation. You have to deal with it so that you have the true supernatural peace that surpasses everything in your relationship. Because if you don't, you can't have unity. You can't walk together in friendship or marriage or parenting or anything like that. Yeah, some of you are living in a cold war right now with your spouse (laughs) and calling it peace. Uh That's not God's definition of peace for you. That's right. Peace, as the Holy Spirit produces it in us, is expressed through resolve. Yes. It's expressed through resolve, okay? That he gives us the power and the strength that we need to work through the difficult moments, watch this, together. That's true for your friendship as well. You're going to hit snags in the road. You're going to come to places where you're not seeing eye to eye. What do you do? Do you leave it? You say, well, I'm not friends anymore. No, no, no. You come together and you work to resolve whatever's going on. That's what the peace of God does in us. Mm-hmm. So that together you come to the place of peace and then you remain in his peace because you are committed to resolve. Right. Now, Paul addresses this for all relationships in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Look at it. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this is, this is, this is God's command for every relationship. 
Live at peace with all men, with everyone. What does that look like? We're just going to avoid conflict. We're never going to fight. We're never going to argue. No, no. It means that when things come up, we are resolved together in relationship to work through this and come out on the other side better for it. Amen? Yeah. So sometimes being a peacemaker means having the difficult conversation, confronting the issue so that there's true peace and you're not just sacrificing it you've heard that saying nothing is worth sacrificing your peace over and avoiding a conflict and avoiding a conversation is truly sacrificing your peace yeah it really is it is that's good stuff Mm -hmm. now let's look at the next one patience patience this is a tough one and a hush how many of you this is the one you struggle with the most in your marriage Put your hand Nobody. down. Put your hand <laughs> <down>. <laughs> hey, Gary Thomas wrote a great book a couple of years ago, actually several years ago, called Sacred Marriage. This book is so good. Yeah. I it's highly good. recommend it. But in that book, he makes the case that your spouse is not in your life to make you happy. Your spouse is in your life to make you holy. That means that your spouse is there to make you more like God. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's true... That means that your spouse is in your life, among other things, to test your patience. You are walking in the calling of God. You do that well. (laughs) Yeah. But when you think about it, God has been so patient with us. And he remains patient patient with us. His actions towards us um, are patient. And so as the Holy Spirit is working in us, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships. He is working on us to replicate the patience that God has demonstrated to us. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Yeah, and that is supernatural patience then, right? Patience the Holy Spirit produces in us and through us. It's expressed through our willingness to bear with one another, even when it's trying our patience. You know, it's, it's to stay in love when love is tough. Uh, to, uh, to, to let God work through you, even when you are not really all that interested, because it requires patience in you. Um, his love is not just sacrificial. There's the patience part of that too. And he doesn't give up on us when we fail to meet the expectation of living up to the standard of holiness. Yeah. Yeah. And now this is, this is challenging. I'm going to tell you something that challenged me to my core this week. I had a pastor friend of mine that posted this on social media. He said, patience is not the ability to wait, but how you act while you're waiting. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Roasted. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, that is tough because anybody can wait. Being Mm -hmm. patient is not simply waiting. It's how you act while you're waiting. Mm -hmm. And this is so convicting to me because when I get myself into traffic (laughs) or behind a driver that does not know what they're doing, I do not act like Christ. Right. I've been in the car with you. I know what that feels like. Now, They don't really know. I'm not throwing symbols out at them. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to that extent. I'm not riding their bumper. I'm not doing all that. I'm just angry. I'm just mad. Uh, But the truth is, with this patience thing, I've gotten a whole lot better at this in our marriage, haven't I? Yes. Yes, Yes, you have. And one, like, perfect example, um, I think anybody that has 
been around me for more than like five minutes knows that I struggle to be on time and to have stuff together. Like life group is coming in at seven and I'm still vacuuming really quick while everybody's like coming in, you know, or um, I think the biggest one is when we're trying to get out the door. When we first got married, you know, like, and I, I would blame it on the dog. Like we had this dog and I'm like, oh, Charlie didn't cooperate. So I'm 30 minutes late or, you know, and he's like, please. <laughs> um, but but he used to like, come on, we're late, rushing me, yelling, freaking out. And I'm, it just becomes this argument in the moment. And I remember it was the, like one of the first times I'm like rushing and I'm like, where's Brian? And he's waiting in the car. He's just calmly waiting in the car. And there was no yelling. He waits in the car a lot, but at least it makes the drive from home to wherever we're going rather peaceful instead of arguing over why I was late or, you know, blaming it on a kid, which yeah. is now. Kids have replaced the dog. I was waiting in the car <laughs> listening to Michael Bolton. <laughs> How can we be lovers if we can't be friends? The whole thing. So that's us. We're getting better. We're working yeah. on this. We're getting better at it. But what yeah. about you? How do you act while you wait? And not just on your wife, guys. <laughs> But how do you act while you're in a waiting game? How do you act towards your spouse when she's not getting something right or he's not getting something right or they don't understand something fully? Do you come unglued because they're struggling to understand or see what you see in your mind? Or are you patient towards them? How do you act towards your friend when your relationship faces those challenges or it goes through a rough season? You know, because friendships, I've got, I had friends, they were best friends in my life. Right. And then something happened and things got challenging. They moved away or they got married or I got married and things began to shift and change. Are you remaining patient with that person while you figure out the new normal of this relationship or do you just get impatient and just get mad? And fly off the handle. How we act in the waiting reveals how patient we really are. Yeah. So let's move That's, on. Okay. Let's get this. Let's get, let's this get rolling moving. here. Come on, we got to go. Kindness. All right. Kindness. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're encouraged to be kind to everyone. Everyone, guys. Everyone. And I know it can be tough. And I don't think it's, you know, I think it's helpful to reflect on this one just a little bit by thinking about what the opposite of kindness is. And that is meanness. Yeah. So and you, I can be mean. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can be mean. Some of you have seen the wrath of Carmen, right? She can be, yeah. That's love for you, but <laughs> tough love. Yeah, but as Christians, listen to me. We are not allowed to be mean to anybody. Right. Okay. It's just not allowed, and that certainly includes our spouse and our children and our friends. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, we seem to be the toughest on the people we're closest to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so whenever you see kindness attributed to the nature of God or the actions of God, mm -hmm. you, often you often see his kindness described as his riches towards us mm -hmm. or his richness expressed towards us. Like mm -hmm. in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, the scripture says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so I believe the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of kindness in us. And when it shows up, kindness is expressed in how we give grace to one another. Right. So when we're living and acting on the value of kindness, we will be givers of grace. Yeah. And closely connected to that one is goodness. Yes. God's goodness is expressed in his generosity towards us. And the fact that he gives us what we haven't earned and gives it to us every day and gives it so freely is is what 
is examples of his generosity to us. Right. And so as the Holy Spirit works to produce the fruit of goodness in us, and we offer goodness to one another in relationship, what we're offering one another then is the same generosity. It's the same heart of generosity that God freely offers us. Mm -hmm. And so again, that generosity, that goodness is not earned. It's not achieved or worked for. Your spouse does not earn a smile from you because they did exactly what you wanted the way that you wanted it. Although it's nice. It is nice (laughs) to smile. Smiling's my favorite. In a relationship (laughs) where goodness is present, it is my pleasure to be generous with everything that I have and everything that I am. So I'm generous with my time, talent, and treasure and anything else that I have to give. I give it freely, and that's what goodness is. Yeah, and if you look at Psalms 31, 19, it says, How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. I love that verse. I like that too. Yeah. He, he, is, he is great in his goodness. Mm-hmm. He's got a storehouse of good things that he has up in heaven for us, and it literally never runs out. And the scripture, I love the word it uses. It says that he lavishes his goodness upon us. You know what that word lavish means? It means to pour out in excess yeah. or in abundance. Overflowing. So it is to be generous. When it comes to his goodness, it's not just a little dabble, do you? Okay? It's more <laughs> abundantly is what the scripture says. It's filled to the brim and running over. It's an open heaven. There's nothing right. stopping the right. generosity of the Lord from coming down. It's more blessing than we can contain. That's what the scripture says. That's the yeah. God that we serve. He is good, and he is generous with his goodness towards us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the scripture talks about two attributes that are related to God and they are goodness and mercy and scripture says that they follow us all the days of our lives you can't outrun them you can't out you can't hide from them there's nothing you can do that would take that would cause him to take his goodness and his mercy away from us yeah, Can't he's do it. so generous. Mm-hmm. His goodness and mercy are literally tracking you down right. every day of your life. That is so good. Jesus mm-hmm. taught it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. He said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then right. you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Mm -hmm. This sums up the law and the prophets. Now, did you catch that challenge at the end of that verse? (laughs) Jesus says, this is how my father does it. He is generous with his goodness towards us. He is a gift giver. That is part of his love language. He's all of them. He is a gift Mm -hmm. giver. But then Jesus tells us in your relationships with others, I want you to be the same way. I want you to do for them what you wish somebody would do for you. Mm -hmm. I want you to be generous with your goodness. Now, this is a spiritual principle that I learned years ago. And we're sitting in a building right now because I learned this spiritual principle. So I want to tell you what it was. Mm -hmm. I was sitting in a conference and there was a, a, a pastor talking about how Uh, the Lord had called him to help another church build a building. And as soon as he said that, I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to help them do this. And I said, almost out loud, well, we, how can we help another church build a building when we don't have a building ourselves? We were meeting in a high school at that time. And I heard God say to me, what you make happen for others, I'll make happen for you. 
And so I walked up to the front of that church, and I, and I looked the pastor in the eye, and I said, we're a small church, we're just a church plant, but I believe God has called us to help you do this. I want to take up an offering and, and help. And he said, okay, that sounds great. We'd love it. So I came that Sunday, and I brought that need to us as a church. And in one month, we raised over $5,000 to help a church in Puerto Rico rebuild a building after a hurricane knocked it down. That was incredible. Now check this out. A month later, a month later, the Lord spoke to me and gave me a vision for the kind of property he was moving us into. And then a month after that, we were inside this building looking at it. And three months after that, we were closing on this property. Yeah. That's what God does. That's what God can do. Right. That's what God yeah. can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like generosity is the key to living in the abundant generosity of the Lord. You can't outgive God. You can't outserve God. You know, like when you give to your spouse and when you give to your children and your family, God blesses you and adds so much more to it. Yeah. So, and it's the same with marriage. He's lavishing his goodness on you. It's your choice, right? To how you withhold your goodness from your spouse or from your friends, or you lavish them, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So it's in our marriage. What if we had all of our needs met in our lives? And in our relationship, not because we were so focused on making sure our needs are met, but because we were so focused on meeting our spouse's needs Mm -hmm. that God made it his objective to make sure our needs were being met as well. That's what God can do. When you become generous with everything God is giving you and you give it away freely and generously, God will pour it back into your lap. It will be running over, the scripture says. And I think like it's important to remember that when two people in relationship are both doing that, if, if I'm doing it and God's overflowing it in me and he's doing it and God's overflowing it in him, like the lavishness and abundanceness, abundanceness flows into our family and our other relationships, like double. Yeah, it does. He's so generous. We both get our needs met. Our, <laughs> our, me, our needs met. Hey, she said meat and I, you know, <laughs> it's almost lunchtime. So listen, we're going to hit the fast forward yeah. button right here. All right, yeah. <laughs> God is faithful. The next fruit is yeah. faithfulness. So let me just say, that his faithfulness is expressed to us in his unwavering commitment to us. Mm-hmm. We sang about that in the second song today. Yeah. We sang about how faithful he is. So I'm not going to rehash all of that, yeah. but he is, he is unwavering in his faithfulness to us. That's what it looks like for us to be faithful to one another. We are unwavering in our commitment. Let's talk yeah. about gentleness. Yeah. This is a good one. All right. So the opposite of gentleness is harshness. Right? And I think it's important for us to look at the opposite value so we can understand how important gentleness really is. Because sometimes it's hard to fully wrap your mind around that unless you're looking at the opposite word, harshness. Yeah. And there are so many, like, let me just be real for a minute. There are so many husbands mm-hmm. and wives that are harsh with one another. Right. Okay? It shows up in the way we speak to one another. It shows up in how we treat each other. It's like we're competing against each other to see who can win the division uh-huh. of harshness, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to win the gold medal in harshness. It's like, it's like every disagreement has a kill shot, yeah. right? Like I'm, I'm going for the kill shot and people are willing to win at all costs, mm-hmm. not realizing that the cost is their relationship mm-hmm. itself, okay? In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So what if you chose the gentle answer instead of the harsh comeback? Mm-hmm. How much better would your marriage be? Because mm-hmm. we really do. We hurt each other. We do. And I think that it kind of, um, it connects into the next one that we're talking about with self-control. Because 
in that moment, I'm choosing to control my natural response. My natural response is to throw a zinger because I fight to win. And so my natural response is to bring out my meanness and be harsh. But when I, when I put self-control in place, then I respond in love and we can actually resolve the issue. Yeah, and another way to look at gentleness, and I want to say this real quick before we move on, because I, men, we hear that word gentle and we automatically say that's not for me. Right. My dad wasn't gentle. My grandpa wasn't gentle. We're fine. I don't need this. No, listen to me. Being, being gentle with one another is yeah. choosing to honor one another. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is very clear about that. When we honor one another with right. our words and actions and thoughts towards one another, the Bible says honor always brings a reward. If not from a person, it always comes from God. Mm-hmm. And that's what being gentle is. If you look at it in the original language, a better translation for it is actually meekness. And I love that word because Jesus, the Bible describes Jesus as meek, which is strength under control. So being gentle is not laying down your manhood. It's not laying down your strength. It's saying I am in, again, self-control. I am in control of my emotions. I'm in control of my responses. I don't have to be harsh. Being harsh does not, does not uh, help me prove my manhood to anybody. Gentleness, meekness is the way of Christ. That's why, he, see, when he turned the other cheek, he wasn't showing a weak nature. He was showing how powerful he really is. That's true. Yeah. Okay, so we can do the same thing, man. Let's talk about self-control. It's the last one. Yeah, and, and, and so talking about self-control, the opposite, again, referring to the opposite to help us fully grasp it, is what we're thinking of as chaos. Um, and that's what life becomes when you live out of self-control or out of a lack of self-control. Yeah, when the goal of your life is to chase down every fantasy you have, uh-huh. or every lust or desire, or when you allow your emotions to get in front and lead your life, chaos is always going to be the result of those decisions. And it's not just chaos for you, it's also chaos for the people that love you, right? People that God has put in your life. And there's an epidemic in our world right now of this kind of living. People are living in chaos because they're living without self-control. Families are in chaos. Marriages are in chaos. There's a lot of families, literally, they go from one crisis to the next. That Uh is not how God intended our lives to be. His word says he takes us from glory to glory, not chaotic scene to chaotic scene, okay? In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 14, and Ben, you guys can come up, come up and begin to play softly. We're getting ready to close here. But James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, listen to this, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Pretty big snowball. It really is. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. That's the result of a lack of self-control. You end up with death in your relationship. That marriage will not survive if you live without self-control. Listen to me. Yeah. That friendship will not survive if you don't have control of your emotions mm-hmm. and of your lusts and of your passions. In that scripture, we see what happens when we live a life without self-control. So how do we reverse course? How do we get our marriage and our families back on the right track if we've been living in chaos? Let's talk about that for a minute. I think one of the big things is self-awareness. Like being honest with yourself 
taking an inventory of what your relationship looks like, what your home feels like, what your friendship feels like, and being honest with yourself and owning what you're contributing to the chaos. Because it is not always the other person. Yeah. I, I used to think of self-aware. I used to think, man, I'm a very self-aware person. And it was the way I come off to others, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking too much. I'm not saying enough. They don't feel comfortable with me. I'm, I'm very self-aware of my interactions with others, but I wasn't always self-aware of what's going on inside mm-hmm. of me. Mm-hmm. I just was challenged with this just last week at a conference. Yeah. We need to become students of our souls. Right. That's what it means to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. How are we doing really? What mask have we put on? What are we doing with our lives? That's, that's what self-awareness is. And so self-awareness allows us to know the triggers and temptations that the enemy is going to come at yeah. us with. And it's going to allow us to build guardrails in our lives mm-hmm. so that we don't go flying off of a cliff. So you get, you get self-awareness. And then the other one is self-control. And self-control allows us to make better choices and live a more disciplined life. Yeah. And I think that is the word discipline. It feels very restrictive. It feels like, oh. It's just a bunch of rules. I got to follow it. But to be disciplined is better than living on default, where you're just floating along from thing to thing. That is not a fun way to feel. And it, it impacts everybody around you when you're just default mode, from thing to thing, and you're just tossed around, like, scattered all the time. Yeah, and so we're talking about what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is producing these things in us supernaturally? Let me tell you what self-control looks like. It looks like surrender. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It's surrender. This is exactly what Paul was talking about in Galatians 5:24, when he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Emotions, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of our heart, the things, the fantasies that we've been chasing after. No, no. They're crucified with Christ. I love what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but something better is alive in me. It is Christ. He's living in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I wanted to end with that verse because it brings it full circle. God's love is sacrificial, and we see another reminder of it. He gave himself fully to us. That's love. We can crucify ourselves to that kind of love because through that, we're going to find life. Come on and stand with us as we get ready to close today. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we bless you. We give you praise and glory and honor, Lord. We honor you, God. We worship you. We thank you, Father, for your word, Lord. Your word is a lamp that lights our path, God. We know what direction to go because your word illuminates the path forward. And Father, I just feel, I get the impression in my spirit that that's what you have done in this place today, God. You have illuminated the path forward, God. You've shown us what we need to see. You've helped us understand how your Holy Spirit works in us. God, and what you're trying to produce in us with these values, with this fruit. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, supernaturally, by your spirit, you would begin to work mightily in us today. In Jesus' name. Father, as people are seeing themselves clearly, there's a self-awareness that's happening, God. We're looking into our souls. That's what your word tells us the scripture will do. It helps us to see clearly. It's like looking in a mirror, but we've removed the mask. We've taken the makeup off. We see ourselves for who we truly are. And God, we see ourselves for what we need. 
And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would begin to minister right now to the point of our need, Lord, to our relationships, Father, all of our relationships. God, we lift them up to you, and we pray, Lord, that they would they would thrive, Lord. They would be an exceptional example of your grace in us, working in us and through us. And we give you praise for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship with the band today. I just want to be